You are listening to Startups for Good, where we explore high growth and high values ventures. I am your host, Miles Lasseter, three-time founder turned investor. Join us to hear stories of entrepreneurs. Join us to be inspired to be a founder or to work for a startup. Join us to be part of a community that believes startups can be a force for good. Welcome to Startups for Good. I'm your host, Miles Lasseter. On today's episode, I talk with Raheem Fazel, who is the CEO and co-founder of SV Academy, an online employer-driven school that helps underrepresented job seekers break into non-coding careers in the tech industry. SV Academy was named the number two most innovative education program by Fast Company. Prior to SV Academy, Raheem was the CEO and co-founder of Involver, an enterprise social media platform which was acquired by Oracle and is now part of Oracle Marketing Cloud. Previously, he founded a web hosting company with his friend Hussein while still in high school. Its sale for $1.5 million in high school was negotiated while writing his senior year exams. Because of life circumstances, Raheem didn't end up going to four-year college or receiving his bachelor's. To give you a flavor of SV Academy by the numbers, they have placed people at more than 400 employers something around $100 million in offers to their graduates. And they've had almost 1,000 graduates raised over $11 million in VC, according to Crunchbase. Really an amazing success. And he talks about how mission-driven the organization is and their grand vision of systemic change, which you'll hear more about. We also discuss future of work, which jobs change with tech change, where is the place with the most economic opportunity? And I think you'll be surprised by his answer. Opportunities in tech for those without a coding background, the humble beginnings that he had and the imposter syndrome that he feels and how to deal with that. And having a creator mindset in your own life and in your career. Stay tuned. Welcome to Startups for Good. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I always enjoy our conversations. We've uh, not been able to see each other in person in a little while, so this feels special. Yeah, I'm really excited too. And I'd like to start with a zinger, if you don't mind here. Let's do it. Which city mm-hmm. is the best for economic opportunity? <laughs> Listen, man, wherever you have family, that is my answer. And I mean it like genuinely. I think... So I moved to this country. I moved to San Francisco really intentionally, right, um, from 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 Canada. And I did that because I felt I really needed to be here in in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, in order to do and what I needed to do and achieve my my professional dreams. As I've gotten older and I have a family of my own now, uh, we were just in Chicago last week with uh, my wife's parents and family, and it felt just as good and exciting, not just from a personal perspective, but also, you know, getting work done and so on as it does when I'm back here. So really it feels like this new world we're living in where, you know, remote first is the norm, like changes the way, like I think even it changes the question. And for me, I think at the stage of my life, being close to family is more important than, than anything. So that means in Chicago, that means in Vancouver, that means here in the SFB area. So wherever you are, you can tap in to that economic opportunity using hard work, power of the internet, 
this remote work culture. Is that what you're saying? I mean, I think that's a part of it, but I think the bigger discovery for me as I kind of, you know, start this new phase of my life, start this family is like being around like my family ecosystem. You know what I mean? Like being closer to my parents or uh, my wife's parents and, and sisters. And that doesn't necessarily mean anywhere. Although I think, you know, those doors are a lot more open for work than they were before. But I've just found for myself in order for me to be productive, in order for me to be my best self at my craft, being physically close to my family is a big, big deal. It's a big like enabler of that. And that was never possible really, because I had to sort of be co-located where my, let's say customers were, or my co-founder or the capital that I was raising. And that's no longer the case. And how do you think that this remote first world, as you described, impacts the profession of sales? I think in a, I think in a huge way, I think, you know, sales, when you think about, you know, even just look at more recently, like the emergence of, of SaaS and the cloud, uh, there still was this legacy of go-to-market where there was a strong emphasis on field sales. You needed to be, you know, close to customers where, you know, you could take them out for lunch and dinner and be at their office and just have that close proximity. And so territories and so on were, you know, demarcated by region and, and therefore, you know, career opportunity, you know, would also depend on sort of where your employer's greatest base of customers were, what vertical uh, you were placed in. You know, now it's like all of those lines have been completely removed. And along with it, a greater emphasis now, the shift from field to remote. And it's, 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 it's big. I think now it's really like you can really be wherever. You can really sell wherever. Location becomes, I think, still an important part of the sale, especially for enterprise sales, you know, bigger ticket, you know, longer sales cycle type stuff. But, you know, that even there is occasional, right? Like it might be a particular deal or a particular, you know, uh, part of the account life cycle where it really makes sense to meet in person. And that might be point in time, or it might be a couple of times a year for customer success and retention. Uh, it's not, I need to jump on a plane or I need to jump into my car, right? For most field sales and be at the customer site for every single interaction, because that's just the norms around sales. Yeah. I've heard some people describe that in-person showing up sales motion as a bit of an arms race, theorizing that mm. whoever it is who does show up has an advantage and therefore as much as we might all wish that we could do more business remotely, when you're chasing the deal, you're going to have strong incentives to still hop on that plane. What do you make of that? Listen, I think there's a ton of truth in it. We, as you know, as humans, as sapiens, for our evolution, have uh, evolved with close social interaction and close physical interaction. And I don't think that is going to change overnight just because there was a, a pandemic in kind of recent memory, I think, or, 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 or presently, I think it's, it's just going to be more selective. And I think that selectivity will be, you know, determined, there'll be, be a lot more thought and intention uh, around that selectivity. And it also, 
I believe won't be the only, let's say, X factor that, you know, really helps you as a seller stand out from, from other sellers or your competition. I think it's opening up, you know, the door for like, listen, so much investment has happened in sales technology workflow there, you know, the, the, the sales tech stack is becoming richer uh, with, with more remote selling. And so I think there are now many other opportunities for a buyer to really feel that sense of, of importance, including I, I invested in a company recently. I don't think the company is yet public, so I won't really talk much. I won't really talk much about what they're doing, but like the, the big idea is really to, to like level the playing field for remote sellers so that, you know, again, in-person isn't necessary. They can, wherever they are, irrespective of, they don't need to necessarily be in like a high cost center in one of the traditional, you know, selling hubs. They can really be anywhere. And I think there's a big thesis around, you know, the, the, like talent being uh, talent being widely distributed and opportunity now becoming increasingly so that's a part of what this company is trying to do. And that means that the very best seller could be in Wichita, Kansas, uh, may also not be able to jump on a plane very easily or ever. It could be because they have a family. It could be because they're not close to an airport. It could be because they have some uh, disability that might prevent them from being there in person. And, but they've got, They've got the, 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 the motivation, they've got the skill, they've got the know-how, and they're able to create like this really compelling experience for their prospect uh, without ever leaving their home. And that is most definitely the direction we're headed and I think will become the new norm along again with, with some selective, selective in-person. And that mission, as you were just describing, it sounds a lot like or very much in line with the mission of SV Academy. Yeah, without a doubt. Listen, I grew up, uh, you know this, I grew up in government housing for the first 12 years of my life. I didn't even grow up in this country. I didn't go to formal, you know, under uh, college, a four-year college. I don't have an undergraduate degree. I don't think I'm necessarily different than a lot of people out there. I think there's the, you know, the majority of workers, particularly those who have been displaced through the pandemic and are looking to get back on their feet, come from backgrounds where there are similar constraints, uh, more constraints. And it's been a big idea for my co-founder and I for now coming on five years to really, again, level the playing field for all talent and not just in, in coding, which is an area where there's, I believe, like an over-indexing. We talk so much about coding where for the, for, for the people we care about, really like the majority of workers, displaced workers, the best opportunity for them to become part of the future of work is to be revenue generating, to get into sales. And it just is an incredible uh, shift that of course for all of us was so unexpected in terms of the, the, the pandemic and then remote work where now we can, it's like we can offer these opportunities to several orders of magnitude, more people, not just because you know, they're, they, they have been dislocated from the workforce, but also because employers are very open to, to remote work and remote selling, because that's how buying is happening. Yeah, it really is incredible when you look at reports of the tech industry, sales growth hasn't really slowed down. It's not as if mm -hmm. there was even like 
there wasn't very much time before people figured out how to sell remotely and things seemed to keep going for most companies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was happening to your point. It was already happening and those trends were already underway. It just has had this incredible accelerating force on what, what was, I think in eventuality and a lot of people would probably agree. And I, I think you know, one of the, one of the parts of the story that, that I'm not sure we're all fully sort of, you know, have truth around and fully acknowledging is that, you know, the, the prosperity, you know, that we're seeing in the tech industry and for folks who are employed in the industry is a result in a lot of ways of, you know, work, get work shifting or an acceleration of work shifting from more traditional industries into the cloud and digital. And for example, you know, you see companies like Shopify, for example, that were already on a tear pre-pandemic and have just had this explosion in the last year as a result of, you know, retail shifting, you know, almost entirely uh, to digital and likely, you know, will will stay that way for large segments of of retail and commerce, um, including like larger enterprises. I, I was in, a, you know, if anyone's been to a mall recently, I went to the mall as things started to open up here in our city and saw that, yeah, the majority of the smaller retailers uh, are not only closed, but are very clearly like out of business, you know, removed inventory, you know, signs are down, that kind of stuff. And there's just like the anchors of the, the larger big box retailers that, that seem to be open. And even then, you know, it's so clear, even in their marketing and, and, and so on, that uh, they're pushing more transactions, you know, to, to mobile, to, to digital. And, you know, once that genie is out of the bottle, the speed at which this is happening, once that is out of the, the bottle, like there's no putting it back. And, and so I think we're also mindful, like where is the, what are the externalities of this shift and and the one that we're most like conscious of is all of those people, those individuals, those families that you know used to be manning, used to be hosting the the, the cash registers or helping people in the fitting rooms or doing inventory in, in the stock room and so on. All of those folks are no longer there anymore. And you know, what is going to happen when there are so many of these individuals who need to get back on their feet? And what is the role that SV Academy can play in, in helping to do that in, you know, in, in, in a big and compassionate and exciting way? Yeah, you, you have personally worked in those kinds of frontline jobs. Yeah. And We've talked about that before. I'm curious, you know, put yourself back in that mindset you were just talking about, thinking about, okay, I want to choose a career that Mm -hmm. will be more stable here or a job uh, function that I'm more likely to be secure in. What what advice would you give someone like that? And, And how do you think about which jobs are likely to be here with all this tech change and which jobs are going away? Well, I'll tell you on the on the second question first. With increased automation, it's clear to me that there will be disproportionate value from the employer ecosystem on human-centered skill sets. And again, we do spend a lot of time talking about 
coding, we don't spend enough time talking about human-centered skill sets. But when you look at the skills uh, and then the bundles of those skills, the jobs that are most quickly to get displaced through automation, they are the low-cog, high-frequency tasks. And that is also happening in sales as well. So for example, when you are making an outbound call or a cold call to a, to a prospect, there's a great deal of like time and effort that goes into setting up that call and actually making that call from, for example, you know, uh, organizing the data around the contact list to actually physically making and connecting that call. Well, that part of the sales function is automated now. The, the, the part of the sales function that is not automated and will be more difficult to automate are the human-centered uh, skills, things like you know, active listening and building empathy and you know, resolving ethical dilemmas and you know, solving complex you know, organizational challenges like navigating a large enterprise and the politics within that enterprise in order to get a million-dollar deal across the table you know, really kind of understanding where that customer is in terms of not just like the basic needs of, of their job, but also the, the, the feeling states, you know, where that person is coming from and the budget that they, that they have access to and the, the, the dreams and, and the fears and the aspirations that that individual has along with their responsibility as it relates to, you know, kind of helping them move forward. Uh, or holding them back. And, and sales has always really been about being in service of the customer. And the emphasis on human-centered skills is where we spend the majority of our time, you know, building programming and, and assessments and support for our students and graduates. And, and I think that's the place that most of us in the industry are not looking, that, that I think, you know, we ought to look uh, when, when we think about this question about the future of work when we think about you know which roles are are going to have longevity uh, and value so i think the jobs that are going away are the ones again that are highly repetitive and and sort of require lower cognitive function in order to to perform them and that i think exists across the whole sales function you touch on a little bit but i'd love to hear more about how you train salespeople mm. And how has it changed? I think a fundamental truth about sales training, given it's given like the emphasis on 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 the human and on the human centered uh, experience, is a lot of the learning happens with other humans, and therefore in in real life. It is hard, for example, to really understand the discipline of sales by reading a book. Yeah, it's probably the reason why for forever, there has not really been a master's in sales at a, uh, you know, in, in higher education, or there aren't many of them out there. I think even in terms of undergraduate majors and minors, there might be three or 400 schools across the US uh, that have any focus on sales. And for the most part, it's you know it's 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 a limited focus for this reason that it is really best understood uh, you know experienced in in real life and so again that in the old world of sales training meant that you know you had to be in person often you know the way people would learn sales was at some point in their career their company top down would 
would pay for some corporate training and you would go to a hotel and there would be 50 to 100 people in there and you'd have a sales trainer that would fly in and they would you know spend two or three days you know focused on upskilling a lot of challenges there both in terms of the fact that it really did require you to be in a physical classroom but also because the training wasn't available when you really needed it and that in itself is probably not a novel concept for most of your listeners, I mean, just given the trends in education and sort of the just-in-time nature of how we learn today. But I think that the thing that we're focused on is the pre-career training as a, really as a, as a, as a catapult, uh, as a springboard for, for a lifelong or a career-long journey in sales training. So for example, majority of sellers today have not really like stumbled upon their career uh, somewhat serendipitously and never really had any formal training at the beginning of their of their career journey. Now, that wasn't always, you know, the case for everyone. I do know, I'm just thinking now, like, you know, there are there are companies like IBM, for example, that you know in the 70s did a really, really good job of training early career professionals. And it was part of a rotation and and so on. And actually no I know several people who became successful executives who've gone through those programs at IBM, but that's not really the norm for the most part today. I think, you know, the investment in training for early career professionals is really much lower than what it was for IBM, let's say in the seventies. And so majority of people, you know, have just kind of been thrown feet to fire and, and I've worked in those organizations like Oracle, for example, they had a large remote selling team and you know, they looked for, for, they went to, you know, the traditional sort of top 10 schools and looked for, you know, Div 1 athletes and so on. And they would bring people on and, you know, 40% of them would not work out. And they, and, and that would be okay. The models for, for kind of early career selling were built to withstand that type of inefficiency. The, there are lots of problems with that though. And so what we're really focused on is providing that type of, of training and attention and support to individuals who are pre-hire, who are pre their career journey. And I think the shifts that we've seen, particularly around remote, have been a great enabler of that because it means that somebody who maybe who likely already has a job or needs to, to have income coming in actively or passively can still access a very high quality training program that does lead to an outcome, to a new career, to an exciting new career path, but doing so without completely changing their life. Like for example, packing their bags and moving to a major city, uh, for example. And I think that again, leveling up the playing field is one that, that feels very natural to me, given where I've come from, the background I've come from, the types of jobs that I've had to do to put you know food on the table. And so we've you know, we've thought about as technologists, as product people who have built SaaS companies in the past, my co-founder and I've thought about how do you, how do you sort of reimagine the future of, of training, particularly, you know, early career and pre-career training in a way that, you know, provides access to folks who are currently on the sidelines and just happens to be that's tens of millions of people in this country. Yeah. So say more about that part of your mission in SV Academy. It's really to train and place those underrepresented people as you describe, right? Yeah. I mean, in a very simple way, we, we want to double or triple 
someone's income in two or three months, right? That's, that's, that's like the big idea here. It's the, the, the greatest advantage that your know, job seekers have it, you know, through their, their income journey, you know, happens really in the early part of that income expansion, right? Like it's when you go from 20 K to 50 K or 20 K to 70 K where you have the greatest quality of life improvement. It happens that 70% of our graduates are people of color, often black, brown individuals, men and women, uh, many women who, you know, uh, maybe returning to their careers, for example, and they're given this chance to really, you know, reestablish themselves from a, from a, both a social, but particularly a financial point of view. And that's our hope that if we can really create in a very short period of time, this boost in, in an individual's income, uh, it is, it creates a lot of great externalities. I mean, certainly for their career, you know, it, it means once they've crossed, I think, you know, the, the threshold, even for entry-level tech hiring, there's a really good chance uh, that, like, I, for example, 60% of our graduates will get promoted in the first year. Uh, often that means getting close to six figures or crossing it. So we know if we just get them in the door, then their ability to, to continue to earn income and to continue to improve their financial security uh, only increases. But also, like, these individuals, particularly in the context of remote work, uh, are also now you know, in a place where hopefully they can, they can be real leaders, both for their families in terms of family sustaining wages, as well as leaders in their communities. Like, and we want, we want to keep people in their communities, which is why that first question you asked me, you know, where, where's the best city, where's the best place to be? It's like where you have your community. And for all, for, for most people, that means where you have family. So you know, helping keep individuals within those communities, uh, but providing them with more access, resources, and tools is a bottoms-up way to create, you know, more equality across the country, to create a healthier society. That's really inspiring and a big picture vision. Increasing someone's income that many times has big ripple effects, as you talk about. Don't just listen, get engaged. I host a giving circle to support startup tech nonprofits. Why do they need support and why is it hard? Well, think about all of the challenges of a nonprofit startup where only 2% ever make it to more than 10 million in annual budget and all of the challenges of a tech company in building a team, understanding users, figuring out what to build and architecting the right product. So why does it matter? Well, think of the established large tech nonprofits that impact your life. Mozilla makes Firefox and other important internet infrastructure. Wikipedia collects and distributes knowledge. Code for America makes our government work better. Code.org and Khan Academy teaches us all. In healthcare, Medic Mobile powers living goods and other local community healthcare workers. So go to startupsforgood.com and click on Giving Circle to find out more. I'm wanting to give you a chance to brag here about your numbers and scale and impact. How many students, you know, placements, uh, whatever you can share. Yeah, for sure. Well, first thing is, 
we have a long way to go. We are just at the very early stages of the work that needs to get done here, both as the academy as well as the ecosystem of, of partners who are all who share a common vision. And and this is a long-term, this is a long-term play. In a short period of time, relative to that long arc, we have been around for over four years. We have produced nearly a hundred million dollars in offers for our students. These offers are, you know, with a bit over 400 mostly venture-backed SaaS companies. Um, um, so, so kind of employers that are high quality, growing, uh, that will be great uh, places for, for individuals to work and to establish themselves in their careers. We are coming now on a thousand graduates uh, across those 400 employers. And I think what's most interesting is that now we're starting to see that the hiring is is moving from you know SV Academy making a placement to a placement that SV Academy had made one or two years ago, pulling the next set of graduates into in into those companies. So, for example, many of our graduates have now become well. They certainly have been promoted. Uh, many have become managers themselves and team leads, and they have responsibility around hiring and recruiting. And when they have that responsibility, where do you think they're coming to hire? Who do you think they're looking to hire? They're going back to their communities or they're hiring people who look and sound like them. Often that means they're hiring from SV Academy because this is a deep part of of their community. And this is where they feel deep connection uh, and ongoing support. And so it's a big way for us to create not only a lot of growth, but a lot of systems change uh, within the employer ecosystem, like really change the, the fabric, the DNA of, of SaaS, of, of the tech industry, because it's one thing, right, to, to, to put people, drop people at the front door, let's call it, you know, help them kind of land that first offer. There's another thing to continue to support those individuals for a lifetime. And in particular, in the, in the part of their career journey where they are now able to affect the change themselves and to be agents of the change that they have been beneficiaries of uh, in, in a more of an ambassadorial way. And so often our graduates are now interviewing with former SV Academy graduates and it's really changing like the, 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 like the genetic fiber of, of, of the industry and also uh, how hiring and recruiting is conducted, which for you know, forever has been very elitist. So given this mission of systemic change, I'm curious to hear how that helps you in running the company in hiring or otherwise. Well, it comes down to the community ultimately. I, I think the community... And the network effects within the community have these accelerating uh, powers, you know, to our growth and and our outcomes. And it's one thing for us as a team to be doing all of this work ourselves. It's another thing to have, you know, our community, you know, out there in the industry, in, you know, working for the employers that, you know, have the have these outcomes and, you know, creating these loops 
uh, with with both the post-hire part of the experience as well as the new entrants, the, the folks who are coming in every month who are looking for these outcomes. And, and uh, the more we grow, the more those network effects take shape and the faster the outcomes happen. And I think that's a, a, a very core part of of what we do and another reason why it's, I think for Joel and I, given our background is not in higher education, it's not in necessarily even in, in training, it's as operators, right? We have built and sold SaaS companies in our careers where we've been responsible for, you know, for growth, for sales, for revenue, for the, for the quality of our hires and the speed of onboarding and enablement. And it's with those, you know, just to be very tactical about it, those, those KPIs that drive how we have designed SV Academy from the ground up and how we continue to design and shape the community that's doing the work. Well, yes, yeah, so let's get tactical. What, what are those things you learned being an operator that make you able to do this? Well, listen, the, we talk a lot about the, the impact that, and even in this, our, in this conversation, the impact that SV Academy can have on really ch- changing the genetic fiber of, of the industry, right? Like of the employers. We spent some time talking about the importance of, of diversity, equity, inclusion, and the role that this community is, is playing in that change. We are also creating a big sea change in the definition of, of, of sales, in in how, in the future of remote selling, in the future of, of SaaS sales. And that is, you know, as a consequence of having a background where we've been operators and responsible for, for all of the goals of the company, not just the ones around the HR function, but, you know, fundamentally around, you know, cash and about revenue and sales we're very focused on driving towards those economic outcomes as drivers of of the bigger picture like impact that we want to see and we know like without creating those economic uh, outcomes we're not going to see the bigger picture uh, social outcomes that we want to see and and that's that's a big big part of you know, what we do differently, we're trying to produce, and I think we're doing a really great job of producing not just diverse graduates and early career sellers, but highly qualified, highly uh, connected, um, high performing uh, sellers, not just at the early career level, but, you know, all through the journey. And they just so happen to come from a diverse set of backgrounds. Now you're training other people and scaling this organization. How do you yourself train yourself to be a better leader? How do you learn to evolve? For most of my life and career, I thought a lot about sort of changing my surroundings as a way of of developing myself into the leader I wanted to be. So that might be, for example, the the city I lived in, the, the friends I kept, the type of work I did, places I would socialize books I would read, that kind of stuff. And in the last five or six years, you know, even prior to this SV Academy journey and really like a catalyst for the SV Academy journey really was this discovery uh, that, you know, that, that change really 
needed to start from within. And I began to tune into ways in which I was really holding myself back. And, you know, for the, for the most part, that had to do with coming up with a new system for how to live my life and how to understand others and the world around me by first understanding myself. And so the change has really come from that work, that internal work. And it's, it, it's daunting because it feels like I'm just hitting the, the very surface of that work. But I'm, I also feel I'm like very happy. I feel very fortunate that I've, I've sort of had this, this moment of truth for myself and, and I'm starting to, you know, make connections with others like yourself that have, you know, who are similarly committed and on a similar journey. And I'm really enjoying this, this way of, of, you know, investing in myself and, and continuing to be a learner. Yeah. Something I've struggled with is what is the role of the personal in a work environment? I mean, what do you, what, what are your sort of early, yeah. What are your, some of your early thoughts? Yeah, on I, I think I generally uh, try to separate them too much and a, and a mm-hmm. better integration of them leads to higher levels of trust, um, yeah. higher levels of creativity, allowing yeah. playfulness into the workplace, allowing uh, for people to feel safe and able to perform mm-hmm. at a higher level. That's easy for mm-hmm. me to, well, easy enough for me to intellectually understand to do right. it has been a, another journey for me. And I'm curious, particularly given what you've said about the human skills that you're yeah. hoping to teach people and that being central to success in sales, I'm wondering if your your views on how to bring the personal into the workplace are mm-hmm. reflected in that training program or how you mm-hmm. think about that in SV Academy. Yeah, in a big way, in, in a really big way, uh, I... I'm finding that the parts of our training that are focused on the whole person are the parts of the training that people most not only enjoy, but find practically useful in their early career. Wonderful. Now, if if I could go back a little bit, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you became a founder and your experience during high school. Yeah, so I as I said, grew up in, in, in public housing, uh, for, you know, sort of zero to 12. And there were not a lot of, there are not a lot of opportunities for me to, to really discover what the adult world had to offer in terms of role modeling, in terms of setting, you know, career pathing, uh, beyond just knowing that, that I needed to pay attention at school. And what I found was I kept gravitating towards, towards technology, not in like, you know, not, not, not really in coding, although I did, I did start, I think I was seven or eight, something like that when I started to code it. I don't even know it was really coding. It was like Microsoft basic and Perl and really just copying, you know, uh, other people's code and running it and seeing what would happen and then modifying it and sort of hacking it that way. And, and I thought that was really interesting. I, I was, you know, had a, uh, the one big investment that my parents made early on was, was not uh, buying a video game console. Like I really wanted, you know, I really wanted like Nintendo 64. And I think what, 
we ended up getting was was a computer and uh, which I also very quickly found out that I could build and run games on uh, and probably spent a lot of time doing that early on. But it also just gave me like this real appreciation for how technology worked. And, and from there, it just it really was like a part of my life that I didn't really talk about much or, you know, wasn't really something that a lot of people at school, middle school, high school were really into at the time. But I had this one friend who was my best friend. I grew up with him. We met each other when we were five or six years old, something like that. And we, we both like really shared an interest around, around tech. And when I uh, was able to, to work formally work, I jumped at the chance and, and I started working at McDonald's and many people know uh, I've got fired from McDonald's and that firing from McDonald's led my best friend and I to talk about, Hey, maybe there's other work that we could do through the computer, through, you know, on, online and, you know, kind of just, just being, you know, you talk about being playful. I mean, we were just super playful. We're just having fun and organically, you know, the idea came about to start a web hosting company because we had family members who were trying to get websites up for their businesses. And we figured out a way of doing it in a really easy way. And we, we began you know, offering it for free and then started charging a little bit for it. And then through junior to senior year of high school, we grew it to 25,000 customers and we ended up selling it for a couple of million bucks before I graduated high school. And that in itself is like a crazy very like, uh, you know, very meaningful, very life-changing moment for me. One of the interesting parts when I look back at it is that we never told our parents that we were doing it. We yeah, like this part of the story blows my mind. This blows my mind. Yeah, I still, <laughs> my parents are still like, it's something that's still like when you talk to them about, you know, their, their own experience as parents, like this was, this was like a really crazy time for them because they were worried about me. They were seeing that my grades in high school were not great. They were wondering what was going on. They saw I was sort of disengaging from, from some of the classroom work. They knew I was spending a lot of time on the computer. They thought I was wasting my time there. They thought I was up to some other stuff as well. And it was actually that we were spending as much time as we could and more time as the business started to take off in running running this growing startup. And my friend who was focused on the operational part and keeping, you know, building, building out the network infrastructure and, and a lot of the technical aspects of, of how we scaled this thing. And I was focused on the sales. And I think it was really that part of, uh, I, although I didn't really think about it in that way, I don't even think I called it sales at that time, but it was really, again, that human centered work that I was doing to help grow our revenue and our customer base, really, again, just having fun with it, just being playful and not, and a big part of that was not telling anybody that we were doing this. Part of it is probably, you know, to not, to, to keep it fun, to not, you know, create expectations uh, around it. And I think part of it was because we were like sincerely terrified that if our parents found out about it, they would shut us down or they would, you know, give us the belt or the slipper. Do your parents know about SV Academy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they do. <laughs> That's a fair okay, question. Good. A I'm glad question. to know that. Yeah, no, they they are very they're very up and up on on SV Academy. There, I, I think one of the interesting parts of our journey is that my sister was our first 
real employee and she doesn't have a sales background at all. She has, she's actually an educator and, you know, my co-founder and I brought her on to help us build out the, the curriculum and the program. And uh, so if they're not hearing about the company from me, they're definitely hearing about it from her. Good, good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Uh, it's a remarkable story. And to thank you for sharing that with us. You've seen a lot of success in, in multiple ventures. I'm curious what you think has been the biggest challenge. I think the biggest challenge has been really feeling a sense of belonging in this adult world, in this industry, in this, in this community of humans who have come from a very, uh, like my story is a different place than I've come from, I have had uh, different experiences, have had different access points, different concerns and priorities and so on. And and feeling like I am, I'm as as good or you know as as capable as as anyone else. And I think you know, big part of that has to do with the real inequities in in our society. Uh, I've also found, and what I try to help shape and cultivate within our students is. A big part of it also is my mindset and the way in which I am showing up every day. And, and I am trying and every single day to see myself as a creator of my experience. And the more I, I do so, the, you know, the more uh, interesting I feel I belong. This is really fundamental, important topics you're touching on here. Like how to deal with imposter syndrome of feeling mm-hmm. like, you don't belong or you're not capable of doing it, mm-hmm. but somehow people are going to find you out. That's that's mm-hmm. rough. And then this juxtaposition that you touched on of recognizing the reality of injustice or inequalities, yet not using that as an excuse to give up. Right. And finding that balance to still have that mindset of making change in your own life, creating your own life. Yeah. It's a really yeah. interesting paradox to hold on to. Yeah, it 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 is. It's and it's it's complex and it's difficult and it's again something that may be easier to intellectualize than it is to truly truly experience and put into practice. I found that one of the biggest enabling factors for myself in really contending with this issue has been accessing support from others who I identify with as similar to my myself or similar to my own story. And I think that's, that's something I I'm very mindful of every day when I do the work of helping to build SD Academy. It's not just that we're trying to create this large, this large financial engine and, you know, provide returns to our investors and the employers and the students and so on. It's also about, really being like the really standing for the the stories that we often you know those of us who are who have who are now in a more privileged place don't often stand for for example just something very simple when you come and you look at someone's linkedin profile even when you look at my own linkedin profile for the longest time and even today in a great way 
it looks very polished and it looks like a very straight linear path. And, and there's a lot of thought and intention that's gone behind, you know, from my point of view in, in sort of shaping that narrative, you know, on my journey to, to acceptance or feeling a sense of belonging. And it's only recently, for example, where I started talking about getting fired from McDonald's or growing up in government housing. There's really no place for it on LinkedIn in the sense of, in the very kind of tactical sense of the word in terms of, there isn't really a, head, a heading there for me to talk about the community I grew up in or, you know, the, 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 the early jobs that I had uh, in, in retail and in service. You know, I start my story talking about talking about, you know, my tech career and the first tech company I started, for example. But I'm beginning to move more away from that. And I'm trying to encourage others to do the same thing, because if you are on the other side, if you're just on the outside looking in, it's incredibly important to see other people who look and sound like you, who have come from the same place that may have had the same work experiences or family experiences that you can identify with. And you can say, yeah, you know what, that is possible. Like, look what that person has done, look where they are now, and most importantly, look where they started. And I think that starting point is, is a place where we need to spend more time, you know, we need, to, we need to be sharing those stories, the messy parts of our brand, so that we can really help people see what's possible. And I think that's, for me, at the root of how to, how to support the very human issues of imposter syndrome and, and not really feeling a sense of belonging. Well, thank you for sharing the messy parts of yourself with us today. It's been a wonderful yeah. conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Me too. I, I really do. I, I really, I love that you are creating a space to have these types of conversations with the, you know, with, with the types of people that are listening to this show, because many of, of many people in the audience are in power in, 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 places of power and responsibility. And I think with, with the right, you know, with coming together and, and starting to have these conversations and the spark, you know, spark of ideas together, I think given the potential of what we could all do together as a way of really being agents of, of the change we want to see is pretty, pretty magnificent. And I think that's why I'm overall feeling really good and optimistic about the future. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to wrap up. Uh, where should people follow up with you or SV Academy online? Well, for SV Academy, uh, you want to find us, uh, you can find us at sv.academy on the web, uh, svahq on Instagram and Twitter. And for me on Twitter, Raheem the Dream, uh, you will find me there. And uh, yeah, looking forward to continuing the conversation with you. Thank you. If you liked what you heard today on the podcast, be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast player. And please give us a rating and review. The reviews help others find us. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow me on LinkedIn. Be sure to visit our website, startupsforgood.com. That's startupsforgood, all run together, no spaces, .com. If you were inspired today and want to join our online community or our giving circle, please do so on our website 